I just left a meeting where we're we're uh, we're doing exactly what you and I are here to talk about. About 120 people in there right now, and it is our IT information people trying to uh, beef up the knowledge base in our you know very diverse faculty. Try to give them a set of uh, concrete tools they can use this summer so that they can reconstruct their courses and the coursework and the timelines insofar as they can. They're giving us the right tools to teach. It's not easy. Hi everyone, I'm Yannicka Ritchie and welcome to Bricks to Bite, where we have real conversations about the often messy realities and extraordinary surprises of going digital. As I record this, schools, colleges and universities in Canada and around the world are struggling to figure out how to continue to educate students when the traditional in-person, in-class delivery models are not feasible because they're not safe. My guest today knows all about the challenges facing these educators. David Griffin is an assistant professor of art. He teaches at the Ontario College of Art and Design University. You might hear me call it OCAD. David and I talk about how the end of the last academic year went for him and for his students and his colleagues. And we talk about the unique challenges of teaching art from a distance and online. Here's David. I've been a, a member of the teaching faculty at, at OCAD for 13 or 14 years. Uh, I'm also, I happen to be the chair of the research ethics board at the institution and the research ethics board is a federally mandated position that our, our purpose is to review any sort of research that faculty and students do at the school and vet it and make sure everybody's safe and, and no one's no, there's no potential risk to any participants in the sort of research that our, our faculty and students undertake. As a teacher, I've taught drawing. I generally teach first year and I teach drawing and I teach color and I teach other courses as, as they come up, but uh, drawing and color are my, my focuses. Before we get into COVID and, and its impact, can you just walk me through a little bit a day in the life let's call it in middle of January or early February of this year, what did that look like? Well, classes were fully attended, going full bore. I was going into school. I was setting up, I was doing critiques. I was helping students um, learn the, the weird combination of technical skills and conceptual skills uh, that they need to be professional artists, creators, makers of things. Um, it was a it was a work day. You go in, you go to your office, you go to your class, you set up, you break down, you grade and assess, you do these kinds of activities, and that that was it was you know we were plugging along. Things changed very quickly. We had a sense that we might have to abruptly halt the normal semester at the university, and uh, when it did happen, there was a lot of shock. My school 
I shut down completely for a week. The semester was not yet finished. I was running two classes at that time, and we had four weeks left. And uh, during that four weeks, there was an important final critique. There was major projects due, and the panic, the sense of panic around the school was a sort of palpable. In January, the day was a normal university teaching administration work day. By March, by the first week of March, it was it was panicky, and um, people uh, did not have a grasp on on the parameters of what was necessary at all. I don't think. But by the end of March, by the end of semester, I think the students and faculty had adjusted and uh, made some accommodations for each other. And uh, it ended well. Uh, for me, it, it ended well. What does that mean, yeah. it ended well? How, did, how do you, I mean, you, you tell well, a story you know, that's quite, uh, uh, sounds quite unsettling. So tell me about how it, it ended well. Well, uh, it ended with a, a, a sense that all of my students uh, were there. They weren't, they hadn't disappeared. Speaking anecdotally with other faculty members, some of their students just disappeared. And I think that had something to do with, besides of the obvious, it had something to do with the engagement that that particular faculty member had with the online tool We've got a faculty that is that ranges from 75 years old to 30. So in that spectrum of of age, you've got a, a significant, important contingent of faculty who just don't have time for it. They're not digital natives. And then we've got a, a younger contingent who are, you know, much more um, ready to go on on day one with the technology. And they understand uh, Office 365, and they they they're ninjas at Photoshop and an Illustrator. And, uh, and so in between there, that's where I am, there can be significant, what's it, gaps. There are gaps between less experienced faculty and more experienced faculty when it comes to technology. And that actually uh, hurts school, I think. But it's also a, a problem that uh, the solution for which is not soon forthcoming. I mean, what do you do? Educate. That's what you do. Yes. Yes. And I think that's what's going on this morning at this morning's meeting. Six week uh, course faculty are invited in and the IT people and the uh, and our curriculum development people recognize that a lot of our faculty need, need a lot of help. I don't need so much help because I've built online courses, but there's a bunch of us who really need help. We had a, we had a person uh, burst into tears last week at one of these meetings. So that's 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 how personal it can get. There is an existential necessity of being in a studio uh, and having the space and the light and the the people around you and the conversation, these sort of organic conversational moments that are so elusive on something like Zoom or Microsoft Teams. There's something really important about being in the studio. So some courses are simply not very well suited to a an online delivery. Drawing is one of those courses. And drawing is my, my specialty at the school. This is what I, I teach first year drawing. I've designed the course in a way. And right now I'm engaged with redesigning this studio course with this 
long history, uh, an important curriculum, you know, drawing underpins all uh, creative making. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I've got to take that beautiful existential studio experience and, and somehow <laughs> transform it into an online course. And that is actually proving to be uh, difficult. It's, it's a vexatious process. This is one of the reasons why that, that uh, woman burst into tears at the meeting last week. It was, uh, it was clear to her that she was um, getting lost. And she was just overwhelmed with, um, how do I do this? How do I bring, how do I talk to 25 students and, and effectively deliver the technical and the conceptual information that um, she's used to doing? Moving a course from the studio to an online learning management system delivery method is never going to be intuitive. You improvise, you make it up as you go along. You find the right path by trying out different paths. That's what's gonna happen. Right. And now I'm thinking about this woman and her breakdown last week in the meeting. And part of her, I remember part of her stress was the, this idea that she has to produce something beautiful and slick. And yeah, yeah and what <laughs> some people in the IT group said, you really don't. You can, this can be human. Talk to them, give them good information uh, with you know, certain technical requirements like subtitles uh, for for accessibility but it can be as rough and raw as as possible and it, it will still be effective i'm starting to find it's much more approachable yeah it's it's human it's yeah. it's informs the relationship i suspect that one of the downsides of technology and now i'm going to get a little esoteric but you'll know what the school is, but the painting school in the 17th century in Holland, where there was a focus on technical expertise. They did paintings, flowers particularly, that were all about being technically superb. Right. And the, yet the story is lost. I mean, and not in every case, in the best cases, of course, there's some story in it as well, but the the, the connection that you have can be enhanced actually by the technical foibles. Absolutely. I mean, you just remember, you know, the, the paintings of Vincent van Gogh, right? Mm -hmm. He's kind of rough, thick, kind of ugly. Mm -hmm. People didn't love them when he was doing them. Mm -hmm. uh, meanwhile, at this very same time in Paris, there's a painter named Adolf Bouguereau, kind of romantic. He was painting angels and fairies and they're mm -hmm. beautiful spectacular paintings this guy was a technical master but who do we remember when we mm -hmm. when we think about painting at the end of the 1800s we remember vincent we don't mm -hmm. remember adolf Bouguereau. Mm -hmm. so there's something about that uh, rough and ready direct application of will and i think that's that's the approach we need to take you know nothing is clear to me is there anything clear to you <laughs> if it is, share that information with me. So some things are clear to me. It's clear to me that practice is the only way forward. There's no thought experiment. You can't read your way to solving these challenges and learning this new mm. skill set. Practice is an essential component and that you're going to be 
bad at it before you're good at it. Yeah, no kidding. The second thing that's clear to me is that as we get older, many of us have not practiced being bad at things for a really long time. And then on top of that, we are adding being bad in a space where we are very, very practiced. Mm -hmm. So there's a very challenging juxtaposition of extraordinary expertise and extraordinary noviceness. That's not what right. I mean, no, but, no, I and, mean, and yeah. that is a collision that has been forced because of the, the crisis. Yeah. I'm thinking of my emotional colleague from last week. And I think what you're saying is, was actually behind her bursting into tears. It's a moment when she recognizes that she is going to do something where she might look foolish, not the, the competent master in the studio. She'll be actually exposing herself in a way that she hasn't, as you said, for years. And that is not easy. If you could talk to yourself, your, you now talk to your you of, of January or March, wherever you want the cutoff to be, what would you tell him? <laughs> what would I tell me on January 1st? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what I would say. I would say buckle up, be prepared, be patient, be flexible and adaptable. But those are those are kind of dopey comments. Everybody should have those words in their back pocket all the time anyway. In March, if, on March 1st, man, I would just, I would have said to myself, be responsive to the students. Don't worry about the administration. Don't worry about the school or the institutional obligations. Those are important, but uh, the students who committed to your course and who committed to, they've made this declaration that they want to be professional, creative people. That's your, that should be your focus. And you can get them there, I would say to myself, just by being patient and being responsive to their needs. I would say stand back and have a look at what you're doing and get, you know, get ready to do it for a long time. <laughs> yeah. The idea of there being a, a silver lining to this, just keep that uh, in your pocket. It's actually entirely possible that all the colleagues that I am now worried about by October, they'll be, they'll be fine. That's entirely possible. Have faith in the, uh, your own foundation of knowledge and your responsiveness to your fellow citizens. Be decent, be honest, be clear and be human. The silver lining is, is doesn't need to be, I don't think described by me. It's just, if you, if you have that idea in your, in your mind, um, it will happen. Mm -hmm. That sounds awfully Disney. <laughs> I don't know. Does it sound Disney? It's maybe. it's maybe some of it's because it's true. It's just, I believe it. Yes. Disney maybe just says it well, but you said it pretty well just now too. My take on it is compassion and humility along the way. Oh, absolutely. It's it's not an easy path. No. But uh, it is a but, worthwhile one. Yeah, and you're, the good news is you are not alone. We are really mm -hmm. together in a way. Uh, it's a terrible historical moment for a lot of social economic reasons, political reasons, but we are in this together and there's something uh, to be said about that.
I really appreciate, as I'm sure everyone who will listen to it, your commitment to the students and, and representing the, the school's commitment to the students and how much work is going into making sure that that transfer of technical and conceptual knowledge occurs. Yes, that's well said. That's exactly what I'm after. COVID-19 is changing so much for so many. And adopting modern technologies and new ways of working is a big part of those changes. As you heard from David, it's not easy. And it's really personal. We're all finding our own way. And we're all doing it together. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bricks to Bytes. If you enjoyed it, please like it and share it with a friend or colleague. If it inspires you, if you are going digital yourself and you want to share your story, or you have someone to recommend as a guest, please visit orangegate.ca backslash bricks to bytes. I'd love to hear from you. I'm Yana Karichi. Thanks for joining me. And until next time, stay well and go digital.